Welcome, welcome. This is Marnie Swedberg, and you are with us for another edition of Marnie's Friends. We're going to be talking today about overcoming labels and limitations, living a life beyond expectation with our guest, Jean Ann Cooper. We're going to learn during this hour secrets to relabeling and learning to love the woman you are, the ABCs of healthy self-talk, four easy steps to setting healthy boundaries, specific ways to quench your need to fix everything, five steps to deal with a toxic or destructive person, the most critical steps for repairing any relationship, and the one thing you must learn today. Jean Ann is a Christian coach, writer, and speaker. She talks and does workshops and retreats that are designed to provide step-by-step life application skills in a fast-paced, story-laced, and scripture-based format. You can learn more about her at cooperbusinesscoaching.com. Welcome to you, Jean Ann. Thanks, Marnie. It's good to be here. Well, it is so great to have you, and this is such a good topic. I don't think we have ever really talked about this in all. Since 2009, I don't think I've ever had a guest talk about overcoming labels and limitations, but it is a really important thing. How did you ever kind of get on the, on the bent that that was something you started looking at? Well, several years ago, um, I've been coaching for about – 10 years. And several years ago, I started doing workshops and retreats throughout the Texas Department of Criminal Justice prison system. And um, I was doing workshops for incarcerated women, and they were just steeped in shame. And I would just go, are you kidding? Grab your Bible. Let me tell you how much God loves you and how beautiful Mm -hmm. you are in his eyes. And to stop saying all these horrible things. But, you know, these women were doing time for crimes they had committed, and they were paying back to society what society felt they owed. And they needed to come out of prison feeling good about themselves. And I kind of folded a lot of the same kind of things that I was doing in the prison system into my day-to-day coaching practice. And I found that so many women (laughs) who were free felt the same way. And it was just so sad that we all live in this prison of worrying about what other people think about us and how we define ourselves and our lack of boundaries, which invites a tremendous lack of respect into all of our relationships. Mm-hmm. So I decided to go on this campaign <laughs> of just trying to shore up some of these weaknesses that we have more as women than men. I mean, I've coached men over the years too, but this specifically really kind of dials into women. That's, that's been my focus of my, of my coaching practice, really. So wow. that's kind of where it started. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, that's awesome. And thank you for the background there. So you've got some secrets that will help us relabel and learn to love ourselves. So why don't you just start right into that? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is to really do what we can to see ourselves through God's eyes. See, the woman that God sees in us is loved and worthy and radiant. But when we look in the mirror, who do we see? You know? Um, And I love the quote by E.E. Cummings that says, it takes courage to grow up and become who you really are. But being a woman requires us to know who we are, what we believe, and why we believe in it. And that is nearly impossible unless we're aware of our priorities and our core values and what makes us genuinely happy. But so often we are so dialed into everybody else in our lives, our kids, our husbands, our jobs, our, you know, our coworkers, our friends, our family, that we don't even check in with ourselves. Um, 
in my retreat, I give every woman a little pocket mirror, and I have her look in that mirror at herself. And I read a script that is kind of an emotional script about having that woman look at herself and saying, I'm sorry I said yes when I should have said no. I'm sorry I didn't stand up for you. And it is, it's the mo- it is so emotional. I mean, women really tear up because they just typically don't check in with themselves. And I often ask people in my coaching practice to take 90 seconds and tell me who they are. Not what they do, not the title that they hold, not that they're a wife, a mother, daughter, friend, none of that. I want to know if they're a dreamer, a believer, achiever, activist, an artist, if they're genuine or funny or dedicated or kind. That's, what, that's the kind of things I want to know. Mm. And that is so hard for, for women to do. Oh, my gosh, it's just so hard. And most of the time, halfway through that, that 90 seconds, I can tell that they're getting choked, because most of my coaching is done over the phone. I can tell that they're getting choked up and teary-eyed because they really are struggling with who they are. And, you know, it takes a lot of courage to find out who we are. You know, we have to take a bold and personal inventory of ourselves and be happy with what we find. And if we find that there's a character flaw We need to have the courage to do what we can to change that character flaw. But what happens is so many times we, um, you know, we either say, I've heard many, many women say, and you probably have too, women say, well, that's just the way I am. And I don't buy that. I think that's the way we choose to be, right? And I think what happens is a lot of times if we aren't willing to really dig deep and find out who we are, what we believe in, why we believe in it, we understand our core values, then um, we tend to tolerate some of our own character flaws because we don't recognize them or we don't want to address them or maybe we don't even know how. But I think, you know, from a Christian perspective, because I am a Christian coach, it's important that we find our identity in Christ if we are believers. Um, and that really self-awareness is the greatest tool for personal growth and appropriate change. But we can't make those appropriate changes if we don't know who we are. Yeah. And so many women that I coach grew up, got married, had kids, went back to work after the kids went to school, and now they find themselves in a dead end um, you know, maybe their kids are off to college and the marriage has kind of lost its spark after 20-some years and they're in kind of a dead-end job or in their job that's kind of beating them up and they don't even know how they got there. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. And one of the things that you mentioned that I wanted to tag on to was, you know, when you find yourself uh, and you're doing this introspection and you're doing it maybe with God and saying, you know, help me see myself how you see me. One of the things that I've found is that in the areas where I already know I have a weakness there and I am working on it with God, but it's not fixed yet. It's just such a wonderful thing instead of saying that's just how I am to say, well, it's, it's where I am today on the way to where I'm going. That, that has helped me to not put a lot of guilt to receive the guilt and condemnation that comes in from the outside, but rather to receive the grace that God's extending to me while he is working on me. 
Absolutely. I mean, we are all a work in progress, all a work in yeah. progress. I mean, I, I wrote or I read a book several years ago. Maybe you've heard of it. It's by um, a, an Australian hospice nurse named Bronnie Ware called The Five Regrets of the Dying. And the mm-hmm. number one regret on these people's deathbed was, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the one others expected of me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's sobering. That's so sobering. But, you know, the problem is that we get so hung up by other people's opinions of us that it hinders our creativity. And God's gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. It says that in Scripture. And I guarantee you there's, there's people in your audience that are writers who have never written and painters who have never picked up a brush in years or maybe ever, or people that played the piano like, you know, great when they were kids, but as an adult, they don't do that anymore. And where, that, where we see that hindering creativity starts at about fourth or fifth grade, where, you know, when your kids are little, you know, your refrigerator is full of refrigerator art because they're just awesome artists, Right. And when they get into about fourth or fifth grade, they stop doing the things that they used to do. They stop doing the plays in the backyard where all the neighbors come around and see. They stop singing for guests that come over for dinner because they're too embarrassed. Mm -hmm. And what happens is, is that, you know, we shut that down so much. So I ask clients, and I do this in a retreat, I have them take a plain, it's a plain sheet of paper, draw a one-by-one-inch square right in the middle of the paper, and all around that square I have them write all the people in their lives that have an impact on, the, on their lives, the people they work with, they go to church with, people on their PTA or committees they may serve in, their families, their friends, and then in the square, which is, you know, one-by-one, one, it's really tiny, I have them write every single person's name in that square who they believe is so important to them and they value their opinion of them so much that they would change their behavior based on that person's opinion. So in that one by one in square, there's only room for about four or five people and assuming that God's in the center of that square. And yet, Everybody on that page probably impacts them in some way because they're overly sensitive to other people's opinions of them. And I think when we know who we are in Christ, we live for an audience of one. And we don't worry about so many other people's opinions of us. And then I think we don't get so hung up on those labels. And we don't... we you know, get more comfortable in our own skin because we know who we are and we know we're worthy of God's love and affection and that he's the most important guy in our life. Mm, beautiful. Well, this is Marnie Swedberg. We're visiting today with Jean Ann Cooper of cooperbusinesscoaching.com. We're going to come right back and talk about the ABCs of healthy self-talk and four easy steps to setting healthy boundaries. We'll be right back. 
WomenSpeakers.com is the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, featuring over 1,700 women speakers from every experience level, denomination, and fee range, some near you. Visit WomenSpeakers.com to find the perfect speaker for your next event or to get training to be a speaker, author, or media personality. All training and connections occur online anytime you have time. Find a speaker, add a speaker, or become a speaker at www.womenspeakers.com. With Marnie's friends today, talking about overcoming labels and limitations. We're talking with Jean Ann Cooper of cooperbusinesscoaching.com. And right now, Jean Ann, one of the things we were talking about earlier is relabeling and talking to ourselves well. And, you know, self-talk is just a huge deal. So just kind of, you have some ABCs. Why don't you go through those for us? Well, Really, the ABCs are really um, to pay attention to what we say to ourselves. I mean, how we, set our, how we treat ourselves sets the standards for how other people treat us. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Um, and the problem is, we, you know, we grew up with lots of mixed messages, you know, sugar and spice and everything nice. You know, tell the truth, but don't hurt anybody's feelings. Speak your mind, but don't rock the boat, that kind of thing. And... The problem is the ABCs of healthy self-talk come from really loving ourselves, to understand that God is, God's love is based on us, not, not based on us, not based on who we are or what we do, but it's placed on us because of what he's done for us. And we are just so mean to ourselves. We're so mean to ourselves. When I was first married to Bob, first week that we were married, um, he was just shocked because this was the first week we spent 24-7 together. And he was shocked at how mean I was to myself. And I think the problem is that we just don't even think twice about calling ourselves fat or dumb or old or wrinkly or stupid. Or I mean, it's just, you know, you, I, you kick the dog's bowl and water goes everywhere and you just go, well, you clumsy oaf, you know, and, the sad thing is that we do believe everything we hear about ourselves. But oftentimes, you know, we wouldn't say to other people what we would say to ourselves. I mean, I would never call anybody fat, stupid, ugly, or and just any nasty thing. But to myself, that's just so easy. And that became such a slippery slope for me. And I just don't, I, I just don't think I had that kind of, self-love that I so needed, but Satan knows that whatever consumes us controls us, right? So loving ourselves, you know, when we think about ourselves as good Christians, we don't, you know, we don't want to love ourselves because humility is kind of important to do, but humility isn't thinking less of ourselves. I've heard of saying that humility is about thinking of ourselves less, but I also think that it's thinking of ourselves in a way that's real to know what our strengths and weaknesses are and to, like you said earlier, really know we're a work in progress and start working on those weaknesses and understand where those character flaws are and how we need to shore them up. But don't beat ourselves up over it and to allow ourselves to accept the grace of God and know that we are not perfect, but we are perfectly loved. I mean, I think it's God's will for us to love ourselves. It's not prideful. It's useful for the kingdom. You know, in Scripture, it says to love yourself as, you know, to love yourself because we can't love our neighbor until we love ourselves. 
Yeah, that's and that's a pivotal point for me. You know, it says, you know, when you think about those verses, listen to how many times the word you is in there. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. If you right. don't start with you, you just can't do it. I do these 21-day wins with women, and one of my key things that I'm always reinforcing is be kind to you. And I love oh. how you said, and that's one of the things that I'd say too, you would never be this hard on somebody else. You know, you're no. so hard no. on yourself. And as no. women, we're really, really bad at that. Well, you have uh, four steps to help for healthy boundaries. Uh, let's dive into those right now because that's a lot of what helps this actually work in the real world. Yeah, boundaries are big. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, when, when we think about our families, I mean, we were called to be a bedrock of faith, not a doormat of grace. Do you know what I mean? And I think what happens is we get in that people-pleasing mode and we don't want to set a healthy boundary. Or we don't want to set a boundary because it makes us so uncomfortable. It makes people squirm. Um, But the benefits outweigh the discomfort a thousand to one. And we make way too big of a deal about setting a boundary. All it is is an invisible barrier, kind of like the boundary around your home. And it, it... in your boundary tells people, this is me, this is what I value, this is what I'm good at, this is what I believe, what I need, and what I feel. Um, and we don't need to make a big deal about it, but we just need to know it's a big deal. So, and healthy boundaries help us be more compassionate and caring for others because we're not, we, with those boundaries, it helps us from getting stuck in their story. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I just think it's great to kind of stay on our side of the street to know that they're not just one-sided things. So step one, um, just state your boundary clearly without anger. And, and my suggestion is to state that boundary with as few words as possible, with as few words as possible. Like I was with a friend oh, a couple of years ago. She introduced me to a bunch of her friends, and I'd never met any of these people, but in her introduction, she included in her introduction that I had been divorced. Now, I was divorced 26 years ago, and, and I just, that kind of took me back, and, and I had to say something because that's not okay with me, and all I said was, you know, when you introduced me to your friends last night, you mentioned my divorce, and it makes me uncomfortable when anybody else brings up details of my life that I feel are only mine to share. So I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't mention it in the future. Is that fair enough? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. So I didn't have to say a lot of words. I didn't have to make a big deal about it. But you've got to nip it in the bud. You can't let stuff like that go and go and go. Because step two leading into that is to be assertive, not aggressive. To say what you mean and mean what you say. Just don't say it in a mean way, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, boundaries aren't really, they're, they're not designed to lock other people out. They're designed to create a safe space between you and another person to understand your expectations and your limitations. And it's important that we be rooted and grounded in love and learn how to tell the truth about our, our, about our feelings. But if you find yourself being mean about setting a boundary, it's probably because you let it go too long, right? Right, right. So who are you really supposed to be unhappy with? Not, not the other person. 
So if, if you're really agitated about setting a boundary and you're ah, I just got, you know, I got to draw a line in the sand here, the person you probably need to talk to is the one in the mirror. Because when you understand that you're the one that let that go, that helps you soften your stance a little bit when you do have the opportunity to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Step it's number three. Like, it's, it's, yeah. it's almost like a, a parent who isn't willing to discipline a child until they get all the way to rage where they actually abuse the child. You know, it's, oh, it's that's the same kind yeah. of a concept. Yeah. Oh, exactly. It, I, that, that is a perfect, that's a perfect description because we just wish people would treat, treat us differently. We would <laughs> wish people would, would act differently. We just wish they would do that. And we will just wish ourselves right out of that relationship. Right. Right. I mean, that's what they're supposed to, right? And they're supposed to. (laughs) Yeah, you're supposed to because it's the right thing to do. So therefore, yeah. Okay, what's number three? Don't apologize or try to justify or explain the need for the boundary. Mm -hmm. It's your boundary. Don't allow other people to draw you into an argument, especially those circular arguments that go nowhere. You're fully entitled to set your boundary. It's okay you have to give your permission to know that it's okay. Um, Just set the boundary calmly, firmly, so you're assertive, not aggressive, in as few words as possible, and that's it. You don't have to say, you don't have to say any more than that. And sometimes I feel like I, yeah, I feel like this one is where everybody kind of gets this wrong. Yeah, all inside of us, we want to explain it. And that is the worst thing in the world. That is the biggest biggest boundary killer because what that happens, Mm -hmm. what happens is you, by by your behavior and what you say to the person while you're setting that boundary is that you're not really serious. For sure. Because, yeah, yeah, because you're trying to explain away. And you're really trying to get their agreement. And you know what? They just might not agree. And that's okay. That's really okay. So the fourth one then. Well, that was the fourth one. Is don't explain. Oh, oh, I missed one. I have. I'm sorry. State your boundaries clearly. Be assertive, not aggressive. Don't apologize. So what did I miss? Let's see. I just put my note away because I was done. Let's see. One, two, three. Oh, three. <laughs> Yeah, two was, um, one was, one was state your boundary. Two was say what you mean, mean what you say, just don't say Oh, that's what I mean. Yeah, okay, yeah. say what you mean. Say what you mean, yeah. mean what you say. Say what you mean. Just don't, yeah, and just don't, just don't be mean. You know, just don't be mean about it. And just, you know, state it clearly. And really, the, the biggest thing that, the biggest, the biggest advice I could give anybody saying that boundary is just, it's going to make you uncomfortable do it anyway. Mm-hmm. It's okay. And you'll be doing your friend or your family member, or whoever you're drawing a boundary with, you'll be doing them a favor because they will then understand your expectations of them. And people want to know what the ground rules are. They just do. Yeah, I think of children and fences, you know, uh, the old James Dobson uh, illustration of the study that they had done uh, with a fence around a schoolyard playground 
and how the kids would go up and they'd climb on the fence and they'd, you know, hang out and sit with their backs against the fence and like that. And then they took the fence out and the children stayed way inside. They wouldn't even go close to the edge where they had Oh, that's before. funny. Because there was no fence. They had no idea. And, yeah. like, it's back to the analogy of an angry parent who the child doesn't know when they're going to blow. So they no. always live in fear and terror. And the people around you right now might be feeling that way about you. They have no idea when she's going to blow. And so they don't really know how to, how to navigate around you in the world because you're not clear. And and I, I firmly believe that it's it's the greatest gift you can give someone is to know who you are, what you believe, and why you believe in it, and to know what's important to you, so that they know. You know, it's it's people who are so vague are just so hard to get to know. I I I find myself just backing away from people like that because it's too much work. It's just too much work. But if but if I know, if I know that you like certain things and you don't like certain things, boy, that puts me in a comfort level that helps me know that I'm not going to upset you. I'm not going to offend you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be abrasive in any way because I know, I, I know what you like in a relationship. I know what you expect out of our relationship. See what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So oh, I just, sure. I just, yeah, I just think that's, that is a giving people the gift of clarity that helps make the relationships that we have deeper and richer. And too, too often people back away from setting those, setting those boundaries because they're too afraid that they're going to push people away when oftentimes it's the boundaries that you set that really draw people in. Yeah, what a, what an upside down world like everything in the kingdom. <laughs> so surprising. Yeah, really. oh, this is Marty Swedberg. We're visiting today with Gina and Cooper on the topic overcoming labels and limitations, and we'll be right back. Are you an author, or do you know someone who would like to see their book published as soon as possible? Join us at Marnie.com for author training. You'll learn how to write it well, get great graphics, attract an agent, format it for e-readers, get good reviews, connect with libraries, and market via media, all over at the author training at Marnie.com. That's M-A-R-N-I-E.com. Check it out today. Welcome back. This is Marnie Swedberg. Our guest today, Gina and Cooper, is sharing with us how to overcome labels and limitations to live a life beyond expectations. Gina, let's talk about some specific ways to quench our need to fix everything. You know, I love the phrase, fix it, Fox. You know, that's what I think when I get in that mode where I have to fix everything, I'm like, oh, you're just being a fix it, Fox. But what drives us to do that and what can we do about it? Oh, well, the first thing we can do about it is rather than brace ourselves to take action, you know, when a problem, when a problem comes along, it's like so many people go, oh, yeah, and they jump right in the fray. <laughs> well, rather than do that, I think the best thing we can do is take a deep breath and soften our stance. And I mean really like <laughs> soften your heart, your eyes, your mouth, your hands, even your shoulders. And rather than brace yourself, relax and listen about listen to the person about that problem without judgment or analysis. Just be present and curious without going into rescue mode. You know, that, 
that helps us from jumping into the fray because after all, it's their problem. It's not our problem. And until and unless we take that on, they have full responsibility for that. And I think the next thing to do is to remind ourselves that that person is intelligent and resourceful and fully capable of handling the situation. Even if you don't think they are, even if, if it's like your crazy cousin that, <clears throat> that you don't think she's really capable of handling this, really, I think giving her the gift of your attention and giving her some space to think and your belief in her that she can figure it out will really help her be empowered. Because maybe we're talking to a person who, who is longing for someone to see them as respected and cherished and capable. And when we jump into the when we jump in to solve it, well, that just that just says to them, move over. You don't know what you're doing, so let me handle this. And that's just that's not a kind thing to do, <laughs> frankly. Right, right. It feels really bad. One of the ways that I help myself do this is I actually have a, a phrase that I use, which is, if I weren't here, what would they do? And right. you know what? The reality is they would do just fine. Or maybe they would make a bad decision and then they would deal with the consequences. But we aren't really necessary to this mix. We're here as a guest and we don't, just our presence does not immediately give us invitation to give them, you know, advice and input. Exactly. And I, you're so right about, you know, when you come from a place of curiosity and you ask yourself questions about, you know, what would you do if I wasn't here, you know? But the other thing is maybe asking them the, the questions like, what options do you have? Have you been in the situation before? And if so, what did you do then? Or what is most important right now? Or a big one is, how can I support you? Off, offering to solve the problem with, not for them. And yeah. offering to bra- brainstorm with them on options they have to solve uh, their problem. Yeah. You know, the, just creating that space where a person feels supported and seen and heard while encouraging them to take the lead and finding a, a solution, I think, is a, I think it's a great way to just have that, what I call compassionate detachment. And having compassionate detachment requires us to treat others with dignity and respect and believing they're fully capable of solving their own problems. I mean, a lot of times in my coaching situation, people will call me and say, oh, I'm in such a fix and I don't know how to fix this. So we talk through it and they go, I don't know what to do. And I go, yeah, you do. I go, no, 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 I really don't know what what to do. I go, yeah, you do. Mm -hmm. I go, no, no, no. And I say, okay, well, let's pretend you do know what to do. What would you do then? And then all of a sudden, um, you know, the options start flowing because they're pretending and they're not wedded to their decisions. They're just brainstorming. And sometimes, yeah, yeah, what what happens when we swoop in and try to rescue them, that's just not doing them a favor. Um, Now, Sometimes, let me back up and say, yes, sometimes rescue is required. 
I mean, we know people that really do need our help. But I always question that assumption until I have enough information. Because what happens is, you know, when we jump into it, we wrap that person up in our opinions or demands, and we want them to do what we want them to do. And when they don't do what we want them to do, we get angry with them. Well, the reason why they don't do what we want them to do is because it's their problem. And they have to come up with their own solution. And, you know, when we get in the middle of it, that means that there's no room for God (laughs) to come in and make the changes that he needs to make in them that he sees is necessary. But when we're in there in the middle, we take on the role of the savior and that's not good. I mean, really? Yeah, that's not good. With my adult children, I, I usually will say, well, I'm going to tell you what I think, but I just want you to know that I'm not going to be the one walking it out. So you oh, need to make so your own decision. Yeah, and then yeah. and then you're free to share your opinion when they've asked, but you don't have to, you know, make them feel guilty if they don't do what you say because you're not going to be there every day, you know, while they're in the in the throes of living it out. You know, you're not, no. and so don't don't take more responsibility than than uh, you should in the conversation. You've got um, some tips too for dealing with toxic, destructive people. And one of the things that I hate most in our current culture is the teaching that's going around that if a person is toxic or destructive, you need to get out of that space and go somewhere else. And I, it's not that I don't agree with it in most situations. Usually, if you have, you know, let's say a friend or something like that that is toxic or destructive, you would you would definitely you know prayerfully move on or, or minimize that contact. But when it is a spouse or a child or a parent, <laughs> there, are, there are people who are close to us and we need, we need strategies to actually work with uh, life within this uh, sphere that God put us in with these people. So I'm, I'm so excited to hear what you have to share on this. Well, <clears throat> I call these people my sandpaper people. Yep. <laughs> um, and, you know, I don't always enjoy my relationships with my sandpaper people, but I do appreciate the lessons they've taught me over the years because, you know, we learn. If we allow ourselves to learn from those difficult relationships, it's a good thing. But I think the, the first thing we do when we're faced with a toxic or difficult person and they're coming at us for some crazy reason, just press pause. I'm really big about just don't, don't, Excuse me. Don't immediately react to everything. Sometimes we need to just take a deep breath and pray for God's help, you know, because sometimes dealing with a toxic person takes some supernatural strength, and we don't have it. We have to plug into it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's important that we don't panic or overreact, but it's really as important to not be too passive or underreact. That's where those good boundaries come in. And, you know, saying what you mean, mean what you say, just don't be mean, you know? Don't be mean when you say it. And just know that we don't have to respond to emotional chaos. Try to only respond to the facts, really. And pause long enough to check in with yourself, to ask yourself, well, how do I feel about this? What's going on with me? 
we don't have to fight the, that kind of battle immediately because when you charge into battle without thinking things through, the person who's usually the most damaged is you because you're the one that's going to be carrying it around. And I think when we pause long enough to check in with, with ourselves when we're dealing with a destructive person, that helps us choose our battles wisely. It helps us understand where we do need to set some boundaries and the kind of conversations we do need to have. I mean, anger is definitely a part of life. That's just the way it is. But, you know, anger doesn't have to be explosive. It just doesn't have to be explosive. So what we really need to do, um, number five, well, number one is press pause. Two is don't panic. Three is, you know, check in with yourself and stay calm long enough that, so that you know you won't take the bait. Because a lot of these toxic people bait us, you know. Try not to take what they've done or said personally, which is really tempting to do. But we have to remember that the way they're treating us has more, a lot more to do with them than it does with us. It reveals who they are. Um, I wrote a book, uh, I read a book by Mike Bechtel called uh, People Can't Drive You Crazy If You Don't Give Them the Keys, <laughs> which, which was just a really great book. I mean, he had some great tips in there. But I think one of the things that's very tempting is that we try to defend ourselves too often with toxic people. We try to justify how we feel. And so and trying to justify how we feel sometimes can get you in some really downward spiral circular conversations that absolutely go nowhere, especially with this kind of toxic, destructive person. Oftentimes we feel very responsible for their feelings, right? Because maybe this, maybe this person has been hurt because, you know, hurt people hurt other people. So um, you feel responsible or you don't want to be part of the problem. So you don't want to rock the boat with them. And we become we can become totally intimidated or overwhelmed by trying to keep the peace with this person. And that's just exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting. And it's really, it's, it, it, those are all dead end streets because none of those kind of responses will help you move forward. Mm. None of them will. So we have to learn what we can about them and then let go of the rest. But I think it's really important to teach ourselves how to respond out of who we want to be rather than how we feel at the moment. Yeah. I like the one about um, staying calm long enough not to take the bait. And I always say that people who are accustomed to the reactions that people give them when they explode or uh, behave in a toxic or destructive way, um, they actually, they are actually, their emotions are actually feeding off of that response. Absolutely. And when you, when you give them as volatile of a response as they just gave you, or even, you know, even feed it at all, just think of it like a fire, you know, and, and you have, you're the gasoline. So yeah. they started the fire. That's not yep. your fault. They started the fire, but you do not have to throw yourself on it. You, you can... You know, you can just choose to stay calm. So you, you, you're telling us then, press pause, don't panic, check in with yourself, 
stay calm long enough to not take the bait. And what was the other one? And teach yourself to respond out of who you want to be rather than how you feel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the last is yeah, emotions. Try- emotions are just, you know, I say emotions are, but they are. You know, you feel them, but that's not who you are. You are not your emotions. You're, you're a much no. bigger person than that. No. Mm, I love and, it. And really teaching ourselves how to respond instead of react. Because there's a huge difference between responding to someone and reacting to what they just said. You know, when, when, um, when Jesus was asked, should we stone this woman for, you know, committing adultery? And he didn't respond immediately. He bent down, doodled in the right. dirt, you know. He, <laughs> he took his time. He didn't take the bait. He didn't take the bait. I mean, he's a great example of you just don't – not every question or every or every attack requires an immediate response. It just doesn't. It just doesn't. And we just need to teach ourselves that it's okay to have really no response to something that's completely irrational. You know? Yeah. Um, and I think practice looking at this person or this difficult situation in a different way. Um, in my retreats, I have people take, you know, as everybody has one of these people or more in their lives, and I have them do what's, what we call a book, a big picture worksheet. And I have them write five things that drew them to that person in the first place. And, they act, you know, because so, for some reason that person's in your life. Okay. And then to write a paragraph or two about the activities you have enjoyed with them over, over time. And what that does it just helps us understand that, you know, we are not the enemy. They are not the enemy. Satan's the enemy, right? That our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against Satan. And Satan just loves getting in the middle of all this stuff. And when we understand that neither of us is the enemy and we don't let the devil gain a stronghold in that relationship, then we have a better chance of being released from the chains of bitterness and resentment about that relationship. And whether you want the relationship, whether you want to renew it or fix it or, or toss it out, at least you can walk away feeling like you have taken a good aerial view of what was going on and where you belong in that relationship or whether you don't belong in the relationship. And it gives you a little bit more peace about that. Yeah. I love it. And detachment disorder, um, what they tell you to do if you've got a, a child or someone in your life with detach, attachment disorder is that every time you look at that person, especially when they're acting out uh, and being disruptive, then you look at them, but you must look at them with love. And you have to have, in order to do that to someone who's consistently uh, trying <laughs> to push you away, um, you have to actually find one lovable thing to think in your mind when you're looking at them in this situation that's painful. And so uh, one of the authors that I I know of, she she said that that she had so many children come through her home, foster children. And uh, she had this one that, you know, the only thing she could think of was, you know, he's just so big. It's just astounding to me how big he is. And, but when she would transfer her thoughts, when he was acting out, she would transfer her thoughts from what he was doing that was painful to, oh, I just love you, and you are the biggest kid I ever saw. And she yeah. was able to, with the, I love that 
project that you have people do the picture worksheet because we do tend to forget that this person has redeeming qualities that are buried under their current behavior. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we need, we need to extend saying, you know, we judge other people by their actions, but we want to be judged by our good intentions. Right. right. So, right. so, you know, it just allows us to give that person a little grace and um, just to remember why we brought them so close in the first place. Yeah. Or what no. maybe just even, you know, what God sees in them. God, will you, exactly. you know, I, I do this sometimes. God, just show me what you see in this person because yeah. I'm not seeing much. <laughs> but you're seeing a bunch. <laughs> well, this is Marty. We're visiting today with Gina and Cooper of cooperbusinesscoaching.com. We're going to come back and talk about the most critical steps for repairing any relationship. And the one thing you must learn to do today. We'll be right back. Christian Women's Events. At womensevents.info, you can find events to attend. Learn how to plan amazing events for your group or publicize your own upcoming Christian women's events. It's all available to you at womensevents.info. Just click your state to find all the major women's events coming to your area or type in the month and year you'd like to attend an event to see all your options nationwide. It's that easy. If you want to promote an event, just click Add Event. Event publicity is available on a per-event basis or free to members. Finally, if you want to learn how to host awesome events, retreats, and well-attended conferences, click Event Planner Training. Once again, it's available a la carte or included in the membership. It's all online and here for you 24-7 anytime you have time at womensevents.info. That's www.womensevents.info. Welcome back. This is Marty, and we're visiting today with Gina and Cooper of cooperbusinesscoaching.com, and she's also one of our speakers over at womenspeakers.com. You want to check her out over there. And right now, let's talk about some critical steps for repairing any relationship. And you know, we've all been in a we've all been in a place where we've had to we've all had a relationship that needed some work, right? Yeah. So um, I think this is so much easier when we know who we are, who we are, what we believe, and why we believe in it, right? When we, when we know who we are in Christ, we stand in our truth. And the good news is that God, God gives us the ministry of reconciliation. So we know how to do this. It may be uncomfortable, but it's in us. But the first thing we have to do is talk to God before we talk to the person, I mean, it does take supernatural love oftentimes to approach someone that you're having a difficult time with, and um, we just don't have that. We've got to plug into that power source of the Lord, and that's how, that's how I do. That's how I do it. Um, next is, and I think this is the most critical thing, is to begin with the end in mind. Um, you know, if I were driving from... Um, Dallas, Texas, to Steamboat Springs, Colorado, which I do a couple times a year, I wouldn't do that uh, without a map. You know, I would know where I'm going, where I'm stopping for the night, because it's a two-day drive, and I would kind of map out where I need to get gas and stuff. But what we do is we just go headlong into these big, long conversations. We have no idea what our desired outcome is. So we got to know where we want to go and how we're going to get there and map out the conversation first. 
I'm big on scripting, even in bullet points. If you know you're going to have a difficult conversation, don't go into it willy-nilly. Sit down with a piece of paper and literally write out the points you think are important to cover. Leave some room in there for the other person to have their say, but to know where you're going and why you're going there. Because um, if, you're, if your desired outcome is to protect the relationship at all costs, then you have a much better chance of making that, keeping that top of mind as you're having that difficult conversation. Um, next one is to know what assumptions you're bringing to the table. And I think we need to really think this through completely. I mean, are we bringing, what are we bringing to the table? Are we bringing the truth? Are there unanswered questions that we have? Are we assuming too much? Um, really get a, get a good, good handle on what you believe the problem is in this relationship. Um, next, I think you need to always take the initiative. Just take the initiative. It's not comfortable. It is not comfortable. But I guarantee you, all it takes is 90 seconds of discomfort, and then you're off to the races. 90 seconds to start the conversation. You know, hey, I feel there's some wonky things going on in our relationship. I feel like we need to talk some things through. Are you open to that? And then you're good. Yeah. Because they'll either say no or they'll say yes. And then you've got your plan. You know what you, where you, what you want to accomplish. You know you want to, you know you want to um, protect this relationship. And you're going to do everything you can to make that happen. And you just want to come to some kind of reconciliation. I think that's really important. Um, I think it's really critical to have the conversation in private, if at all possible, <laughs> because you don't want to subject either one of you to public humiliation, which can certainly happen in a Starbucks, because I've seen it happen. We've <laughs> all times. seen it happen. Oh, my. <laughs> like, wrong place. <laughs> yeah, it's just sad. You just want to, yeah, I mean, right. and if you don't want to go to each other's house, find a park bench, you know? Go somewhere where it, it, it does get heated that you're not in the middle of a public place, you know. But just have the courage to ask them, look, this is, this is important enough that I think we need to go to this place or you need to come here or I need to go there. But sometimes it's better to have a, have a kind of a place that isn't your house or isn't their house. Because if it's time to get up and walk away from the conversation, not because it's heated, but because maybe somebody needs to kind of marinate in the information that was just shared with them, sometimes these conversations, these repairing relationship conversations cannot be done in, in one conversation. And too many, too many times we think, well, we had this talk, when oftentimes it's like, you know, I think we've talked enough today, let's both, let's both pull back and let's go talk. Let's go think about this. Let's pray about it. Let's get back together. Would next Wednesday be okay with you? That kind of thing. I also think it's critically important to listen first and then talk. Even if the person on the other side is the person that you think has more to do with this problem in the relationship, um, unless we know what's going on with them completely, we can't respond effectively. 
So I think we need to do ourselves a favor and stop talking and stop and start listening. Um, when we listen to people, we have a much better chance of sympathizing with their feelings. And when we see, we have an opportunity to see how they may have been hurt by something, we have a chance, a better chance of cooperating with them and understanding. And the, I don't know, the conversation just takes a better turn when we have more information. And, you know, this doesn't, this doesn't say to lay down and be their doormat. That's not at all the case. But even scripture says that you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of fight. Yeah. So, you know, if there's a if there's a family quarrel going on, you know, a lot of parents keep the keep the arguments away from the kids because they don't want to know that they there's they're upset with the mother-in-law, father-in-law, sister, brother, cousin, aunt, uncle, whatever. But I think sometimes it's important to let the family know what's going on, especially during the time of reconciliation because we're teaching those kids how to solve problems by watching us. They may not listen to a word we say, but they watch everything we do. And they see us in a conflict, and allowing them to see that conflict come to a resolution is critically important for kids. Kids don't have very many problem-solving skills today because I think too many parents protect them. And the problem with that kind of protection is they never get to see the glory of God working in our lives. And I would really love to see more parents bring their kids into, not that they need to be involved in all the gory details, but it's good for them to see some some of this happen. The other thing um, that I think is important is that we attack the problem, not the person. Because, you know, we, again, going back to it, I'm not the bad guy, you're not the bad guy, Satan's the bad guy. And he's having a heyday with the fact that we are not getting along. And we just don't need to give him a foothold on our relationship. Last but not least, I think what's critically important is to take full responsibility for your role in any situation. Just own it all. Just you got to own your stuff. When you've done something wrong, admit it and then be sorry. Yeah, and that is the one thing we've got to learn to do is just to apologize. Jean Ann, this hour has flown by. If people go over to your website at cooperbusinesscoaching.com, what are they going to find over there? They're going to find stuff about my coaching business, but they're not going to find anything about the retreats and workshops I do. That's on womenspeakers.com. So that, that's where all my topics are listed for the retreats that I do for um, women. And it won't say anything about my prison ministry because chances are anybody in prison won't be watching that or won't be looking at the website. But um, I speak to women's groups, mops groups, um, just I do talks for tweens and teenagers and young women, and I just have a heart for women and a heart for women that really need to know who they are in Christ and know that they are not perfect but perfectly loved. Mm, beautiful. Wow, what a great hour. You, I've been just 
frantically taking notes here. <laughs> you shared so much great content with us. I am Thank so you. grateful for your life, for your ministry, for your availability to planners who are looking for a speaker for their events and also for you coming today. Thank you, Marnie. Thank you. And thank you all so much for being here. We just cannot have a radio show without listeners, and I'm just so grateful that all of you came today. I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day. Be sure to go over and visit Jean at cooperbusinesscoaching.com or womenspeakers.com. And you can also swing by my site at marnie.com, and we'll see you next time. Online training, instant access, increase your skills in the minutes you have. Right now at womenspeakers.com, you can take it to the next level with online training including specific instructions, tips, and strategies to increase your knowledge, skill sets, and earning potential as an author, speaker, media guest, manager, women's ministry leader, or event planner. Pick your area of interest and get going today. The training sets at womenspeakers.com include over 24 modules, each 60 minutes long, focusing on practical, doable, and easy-to-implement next steps in your particular field of interest. You can purchase each set individually or join to gain instant and ongoing access to them all for one low price. Get online training today at womenspeakers.com. That's www.womenspeakers.com. Money troubles got you down? Visit www.godlywealth.com to discover the fastest way to financial peace. You'll gain perspective, biblical training, and clear direction to help you move from terrified to triumphant. It's all free and available to you online at www.godlywealth.com. Not only will you learn a balanced, godly perspective about money, but you'll also enjoy scripture set to music, a wealth roster worksheet, and much more, all free and online at www.godlywealth.com. That's www.godlywealth.com.